Our reading today is from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask just for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There isn't a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay the debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. Well, there's little doubt that the people who influence us most in life are our parents. And I'm sure you will have found yourself unconsciously copying some of the things that your parents once did. Uh, That's happened with me a lot. I've found myself reflecting my father's actions uh, many a time. Uh, The way that I sit at a desk when I read, the way I hold my body, it's just like my dad, Uh, the way I I grab my head when I'm exasperated. It's just like my dad. All those imitated behaviours can be positive, they can be negative and a thousand shades in between. And when it happens, I'll sometimes ask myself, where did that come from? Uh, Did I consciously copy that or uh, is it in my wiring? And I'll leave the answer to that question to the nature-nurture theorists. Positively, of course, any parent would be keen to see their children imitating their good habits. That would have to be one of the best ways to influence future generations, that our children might embody our better character. And that's where I want us to begin today, because that's what God wants of His children. God wants nothing more than for his people to embody his character in his world. But when you read the Bible, that's not always what God's people have been known for. Think about what we've just read in 2 Kings chapter 4. We have a widow crying out to Elisha for help. Her husband, a man from the company of the prophets, we would say today, a pastor or a senior pastor has died and he owes money to another man. And to make up for that debt, that man, that other man is coming to take this widow's sons as his slaves. Now, can you imagine a more horrific situation for parents? You've just just buried your husband. 
You're in all sorts of grief and now your sons are about to be taken away as slaves. And in the ancient Near East, when, where this event happened, there's no Centrelink, there's no widow's pension. Your sons uh, really are your future. They're your lifeline. They're your economic security. Your sons are your only hope. And so it's a double tragedy. You'll end up on the street and they will be held in slavery. And so you're desperate, you're terrified, you're, you're inconsolable. Something's got to be done. Now what might be harder for us to contemplate than that is that slavery isn't just a feature of this story. Slavery is worse today than it's ever been, with over 40 million people in its horrifying grip. I want to tell you a story about a girl named Shadna. As a child, Shadna was filled with energy and adventure. She loved fishing, she loved climbing trees for mangoes and coconuts. But when she was just 11 years old, Shadna's father died. And all of a sudden, she was expected to contribute to the family's upkeep. And when Shadna was 14, her family moved to a nearby city to look for work. And in this massive city, Shadna was introduced to a woman and Shadna thought she would be employed to help out around this woman's house. But when Shadna arrived... She was brought to a room full of strange men, empty beer bottles and stale cigarette smoke. And Shadna remembers, the lady told me not to worry as I would get a nice job and I would earn lots of money. But something didn't feel right. She says, I asked them to let me leave and they just told me to sit and have a glass of water. And I don't remember anything after drinking that water. She woke up hours later, disoriented, naked, afraid. Her clothes were strewn everywhere. And the apartment turned out to be a private brothel. Shadna was horrified to learn that she'd been raped. And she was now regarded as the brothel owner's property and for two months Shadna and two or three others would be sold for sex several times a day and Shadna remembers I'd lost all hope of getting out I had no hope left at all and I felt as if I had become a worthless human being Now, we, we don't know what kind of slavery awaited these two boys in 2 Kings 4, the widow's two sons. And true, uh, there were forms of slavery regularly practiced in the ancient Near East. But one thing was sure, God, the God of the Scriptures, had expressly forbidden Israel to enslave their own people. And so when Elisha hears about this, he's gravely concerned about it and you can sense he's 
grasping for a solution. He suggests to the widow, um, maybe you can sell some stuff to clear the debt. But all she has is a tiny jar of olive oil. Now, some, some background here. Olive oil was a very versatile commodity. It was practical. You could use it in cooking. You could use it in lamps. It was medicinal, used on wounds to stop infection. It was ceremonial, a symbol of God's blessing, a symbol of his prosperity and thriving in the kingdom. And that's what I want us to think about when we think about olive oil in this passage. You see, the fact that the widow's jar of olive oil was, was tiny, that she only had a small amount of olive oil, is, is, is quite symbolic. It's telling us something about the state of Israel, about the state of the soul of the people of God. In that once great nation, there was hardly any blessing. There was little prosperity. No one was thriving. Israel's national soul is parched in the midst of a grinding spiritual drought. And that being so, it seems a little odd that Elisha tells the widow to go from house to house and collect as many empty jars as she can. It seems so futile. But obediently she, she does that. She sends her boys out. They gather a multitude of jars and they go inside and they close the door. They do what Elisha says. And she takes that little jar of olive oil and she fills up these much larger jars with that tiny jar. She fills one jar, she moves that aside, she grabs another huge jar and she fills it up with that tiny jar of olive oil. And she keeps doing it, jar after jar after jar. No matter how big these jars are, her little jar never runs out. Now, can, can you see what's happening here? This is like, this is like printing money. It's like seeing a homeless person on the side of the street and pulling a $10 note, your last $10 out of your wallet and giving it to that person and looking at your wallet and there's another $10 there. So you give that to someone else and there's another $10 there and you keep giving that money away and it just keeps being replaced in your wallet. Can you see what this is about? In this miracle, God is changing her life. God is making it all happen so she can sell this oil and cancel the debt. This is incredible. This is an act of freedom from the living God. Again, think of the symbolism. Think of what this is saying to Elisha's contemporaries. Through Elisha, the Lord is breaking the curse of slavery and setting the captives free. The grace of God is being displayed gloriously through Elisha and the presence of God amongst his people is proclaimed as their only hope. Now, as amazing as that miracle is, there's more going on here than a widow's oil crisis. And so we can understand that well. I want you to think of employee reliability in our current workplace context. Imagine 
Imagine you've got a new job. And one day you find yourself, um, it's, it's going great, everything's going really, really well. But one day the business is slow and you find yourself scrolling down the Facebook feed and the boss finds out. And she takes you aside and explains very clearly the company policy that when you're at work, Facebook is off limits. You want to keep your job, so you accept the guidance and you get back to work. And it's all good for a while, but a few weeks later, things are slow again and sure enough, you stray back to the Facebook feed just to see what's happening, see what's going on in the world. And the boss finds out again. And this time she says, I need to speak to you in my office. And after that conversation, again, you're a bit rattled, but you're on your best behaviour. But a few weeks later, there you go again. And once again, the boss finds out. Now, ask yourself, what is that boss thinking about this employee? She's thinking, what's wrong with this person? I, I hired them to do a specific job. And despite my warnings and despite the counsel that I've given them, they're just not doing what I've called them, what I've hired them to do. Go back to 2 Kings. We need to think of Israel in the time of Elisha, a little bit like that employee. Because the Lord had called Israel to be a shining light to the nations around them. I'm going to read some verses from Exodus 19, verses 4 to 6, and listen to what God calls his people to do and to be. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. You see, God's people, Israel, they were called to be a national embodiment of how wonderful, how unique, how distinctly different life would be when it's lived under the Lordship of our God and Father. This was their calling. This was their job. And of course, that would come to expression in many ways. Um, Exodus 20 and the commands that follow show us a lot of that ways. Uh, but one of the specific ways would be how the people of Israel treated the poor and the vulnerable, the widows and the orphans. In fact, just a few chapters on from 19 in Exodus 22, we read, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. And you read the scriptures and time and time again, the Lord called his people to seek justice for the weak and the vulnerable members of their community. But time and again, they neglected it. Time and again, they refused to do so. Time and again, they paid more important to the 
to the powerful and the strong than the weak and the vulnerable. And the terrible consequences was that it impacted their worship before the living God. In Isaiah chapter 1, from verse 10, we read these words. And make no mistake, God is not speaking to Sodom and Gomorrah here. Israel has become so bad, so corrupted, so unjust, so evil, that God calls Israel Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Why? Because your hands are full of blood. Wash, make yourselves clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing wrong, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. It's almost like God is saying to his people, do your job. Do your job. Speak up for the vulnerable and the widow and the oppressed. And interestingly, we can look at passages all through the scriptures in Isaiah, in Amos, in the other prophets. And the clear message is this. When God's people act unjustly, if they neglect justice, their worship is meaningless. Their worship is offensive to God. God hates that kind of worship. And I find that an incredibly confronting reality for the church in the Western world, my church. You see, with this story, the most important question is not how did this miracle happen? Or what's the significance of the oil? Or how come the little jar didn't run out? The most important question here is, what has happened to Israel? What has happened to the people of God that this widow can be oppressed, that her sons can be sold into slavery? What has happened to the people of God that they can even contemplate this? Is this what the people of God have become? 
What of the holy calling to embody the character of God to a watching world, to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people belonging to God? What's happened to that? And friends, this is why we should pay very close attention to God's call to us to be people of justice. Think of that opening illustration of imitating our parents and carrying the good things of their character into future generations. As we pray for the end of slavery on Freedom Sunday, as we rescue the enslaved, the church has the privilege of reflecting the character of God, the Father, to a watching world. We reflect the character of Jesus, who in his opening message in Luke 4 said he came to bring freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus came to make us citizens of his kingdom, the new Israel. Jesus enables and empowers that work through his cross, through his resurrection, through the indwelling and the presence of his Holy Spirit. We have the privilege of reflecting the New Testament church where we read in Acts 4 that God's grace was so powerfully at work among that body of believers that there were no needy persons among them. We have the privilege of reflecting the character of the New Testament church where caring for Gentile widows was as much a core ministry of the church as preaching the word. We reflect the character of the New Testament church where even in a context of great persecution, the Apostle Peter called God's people to live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Friends, this is our job. This is our calling. This is our Freedom Sunday mandate. Jesus has brought us freedom and in his name we will bring freedom to others. This is our calling to reflect the heart and the passion and the character of the God of justice, to embody the mission and the person of Jesus. Pursuing justice is the calling of God's people. It always has been and always will be. You see, today's church needs to learn how to restore justice and mercy to our core agenda. Because when God's people follow their calling, the kingdom of God is manifest in the world and our glorious Lord receives the glory. And this is how it happened with Shadna. In January of 2013, Shadna was with a customer in one of the tiny rooms of that brothel when officers arrived at the house. Police and IJM staff had been working for weeks to investigate the brothel and they were there on that day to rescue Shadna. 
And Chadna was placed in an aftercare facility where IJM trauma-informed counsellors began that work of gentle restoration. And in time, Shadna opened up. She was able to accept help and rebuild her self-image. And today, Shadna is a vibrant, confident woman living with aftercare around her in a community of friends and chasing the dreams that she had as a little girl. And Shadna even speaks at trafficking and awareness programs in communities all across South Asia. And when she talks about her future, her resolve is, is serious. My dream is to complete my education, to get a job as a social worker, to hear the stories of other girls and to help them. You see, friends, not only was Shadna's slavery broken, but she became a breaker of the slavery cycle. And God is working through her to bring freedom and life to others. Seeking justice is just one of the ways that the people of God reflect the soul and light that Jesus has called us to be. It's just one of the ways that we reflect the character of God into some of the hardest places of the world. But here's the thing. IJM can only do this amazing work if God moves the church to use its resources and its power to help. And I say this because when I think of Shadna and I imagine the horror that she faced every day, all I want to do is make it stop. All I want to do is stop every context of that happening on the face of this earth. And I, I know I can't do that. I can only do what I can do with the resources and the responsibilities that God has given me. And that's why I'm inviting you today to become an IJM Freedom Partner. Because as a Freedom Partner, you actually become part of the rescue team. Because Freedom Partners make a commitment to pray regularly. Uh, they'll receive a brief weekly prayer update with uh, four or five dot points of some of the amazing things that God is doing around the world or the greatest needs that we have in bringing people to freedom. Freedom Partners will also make a commitment to give monthly. Your gift of $31 or more per month is actually the most concrete thing you can do to free people from slavery in our world today. Because your generous support allows us to stand up to the powerful of the world who prey on the innocent. Your generous support allows us to show up and rescue more and more people like Shadna, releasing them from, from the terror of slavery. Please, church, help us do this. It's as easy as following the on-screen link or the code that you can see. Because the truth is, God's people can take the lead in ending slavery. 
We can be carriers of this miraculous transformation. We can be witnesses of the kingdom of God as it breaks changes, it shatters the darkness. And of course, it's, it's, it's not just support for IJM, as wonderful as that is, but in some amazing way, God is working through His people to set people free. As we do that, the character and the attitudes of our Father are carried into the world and future generations. The character of love and justice is reflected to a world so desperately in need of hope. And together, we embody the grace, the love, the mercy of the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Together, we show the character of the kingdom. Together, we express His heavenly reign here on earth. And so together, let's pray boldly. Let's act courageously. Let's give generously to end slavery and to bring glory to the God of all freedom.